And I'd like to talk to you about parenting, right? We've spent a lot of time talking about marriage and relationships and sexuality and what that looks like. And we talked a lot about, uh, about um, what that looks like as, as, as uh, husbands and wives. And we talked a bit about what it looks like as a single person for the Lord. And we also talked about media. Um, in the last two weeks, we talked about media, the power of media, the influence of media, and how we need to keep media at the cross, make sure that we use it for its, uh, God's glory and not allow media to control our lives. And today, what I want to do is, is begin to dive on this message or um, this, um, this teaching on godly kingdom parenting. As we do that, some, I know that there are many of you who are not parents, and uh, so you, you won't necessarily get much from a, from a parent talk because you're not in that place in your life, but I believe that if you, look to be a, if you desire to be a parent one day, that this will be valuable information for you. But I also believe that as we talk about kingdom parenting or being parents that, that have a kingdom mindset, that we can really relate this to discipleship, making disciples. The reality is, that if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, God is calling you to be a coach, a mentor, a leader, a servant to someone, yes. right? There is someone that you're supposed to be speaking life into and that God is calling you or using you or wanting to use you so that you can draw them closer to him. That's for every person that's a disciple of Jesus Christ. So as we talk about parenting, you can easily change the parenting to making disciples. And I want you to interpret it in your context. Now, before we talk about parenting and before we talk about discipleship, I have to say some disclaimers, as I should with every message that I preach. Number one, I've not arrived. I've not arrived. My kids are only 10, 7, and 5. There are stages in their lives I haven't even experienced yet, and I don't even know how I'm going to deal with it, right? This is quite honest. I got a 10-year-old that doesn't look 10 anymore. She is a, a stunning child, and I have thoughts that are not pleasing to the Lord, right? I'm like, God, help me. I, I, I deal with fear, and, uh, you know, just recently I was feeling grief because I realized that maybe I'll have eight to ten more years with her living in my home. She may be an adult and move out. And that's all I got, right? And so I'm looking at her and the way she's changing and how beautiful she's becoming. And I'm looking at all my kids and I'm looking at my five-year-old being as independent as a 30-year-old. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, have mercy, right? Kids grow and they go through different seasons and I've not arrived. The best thing that I think I've done in my parenting as a parent, the best thing that I've done is be able to get on my knees, look at my kids and say, Daddy blew it again. Emphasis on again. You know, I thank God that he's allowed me the grace to be able to say, baby, I'm sorry. I just blew it. Do you forgive me? God is teaching me as much as I'm trying to teach you. So as I'm talking about parenting, I'm not talking from this place of arrival. I'm speaking from a place of grace. And I want you to know that uh, we're all growing in this deal. Second disclaimer, uh, as we talk about discipleship very deeply when it comes to, uh, as parents, being parents is really about discipleship. When I talk about discipleship, I want you to know that uh, I realize today that unfortunately discipleship is like a sore issue in the church. People have a hard time with the concept of discipleship. And unfortunately, we can testify that in many places or in many ways, discipleship has not become the, is not the number one priority in the church. Right? Now let me explain that. Discipleship should be the number one priority of the church. We insist to make disciples. But oftentimes the view that we have of 
church gets in the way of discipleship, if we come to church for the experience, if we come to church for what we can get from God, if we come to church to feel good, if we come to church because um, um, of whatever reason other than growing in Christ and leading others to Jesus, if leading others to Jesus is not a part of that, we're not fulfilling our job. We're not being the church of Jesus Christ. Making disciples is what we're called to do. And I know that discipleship is something uncomfortable. And that many of us feel like, I don't know that I can make a disciple. I don't know that I've arrived at a place where I can say to someone, follow me. Let me tell you, if you know Jesus is your personal Savior, you're ready. Okay? All you need to do is have a humble attitude that says, I know that Jesus is my Savior. And he's my Lord. And every day he's, I'm growing and letting him be, be Lord of my life. That's all you need. That's all you need to make a disciple. Right there, at that place, you choose to be obedient to God. You're ready to be a disciple maker. Some of the best soul winners are people who just gave their lives to Jesus because they can't stop talking about what Jesus has done. Do you remember when you first got saved and you were telling everybody? Huh? Nothing should stop now. Nothing should stop now. You should tell people of what God has done in your life. And so... I know that it's something that some of us feel awkward with, but we're all in the process of discipleship. Third, I want to tell you that as a pastor, my number one responsibility is to line up to Scripture. So when I talk about parenting, I'm going to talk about biblical kingdom parenting. I'm going to look at what the Bible, how the Bible informs me about parenting. That's, that's my focus. And a last disclaimer um, that I, that I want to share with you is that we all have to come to this place. If this message is going to be something that you're going to be able to receive and learn from just as well as I will, um, um, then we have to accept that we all have legitimate dysfunctional ways of doing life. L- let me, let me, uh, let me have a Captain Obvious moment here, okay? May, many of us may not be at a place where we can accept it, but we have been through certain things in life We've experienced a certain kind of parenting. We may have uh, dealt with some issues in life that have in some ways broken us, hurt us, wounded us, and maybe even um, led us to do parenting and do life in a dysfunctional way. Right. Right? And the only way we come to know that is through the Word of God and being in fellowship with the Word of God and with the people of God. And we have to be able to accept the fact that, hey, there are... There's probably something dysfunctional in me, because if you don't accept that, when you go to the Word of God and you hear the counsel of the Word of God and you hear preaching, it may be offensive to you, and you may put your defenses up instead of letting God come in and deal with the dysfunction. Do you understand what I'm saying? Here's an example. My wife is an adventurer. She loves adventuring. We're going to go camping this year, and I'm going to do it by faith. This woman, she loves, she wants to be in a tent, and, and it kinda, the role's kind of reversed, the camping deal, right? I grew up in Florida. It's too hot, too many bugs. We don't camp, right? In Dominican Republic, too many tarantulas. I ain't camping with a tarantula, right? But when she grew up in the north, there aren't those things, you know, and she just loves camping in a tent. She just loves it. I love camping, too, in a cabin with AC, preferably with ESPN, one and two. And a pool table on the lobby. No, it's, you know, it's like we just... You know, she's an adventurer, and she talks about traveling a lot, and she gets really excited about traveling. And finally, while I was working, it just hit me. I get anxious when I talk about traveling and and going out on vacation, and all this stuff makes me anxious, and I shut down. And I text my wife, remind me to tell you something very important today. So I get home. She says, what's that important thing that I got to tell you? You got to tell me. I realize 
that I don't like talking about vacation. She goes, really? <laughs> right. Why, you know, why is it you don't like talking about vacation? I get anxious. It's something about it just feels not right, not godly. I, I get filled with fear. Oh, that's not of God. Well, that stinks. You know, she said something like that. It's like, why do you think that is? And it hit me. When I grew up, you know, single mama with four kids, she did everything we could, uh, she could, to make sure that we lived in a good school district. That meant living in a one-bedroom apartment, hiding from the maintenance crew, right? Right? Four kids hiding from the maintenance crew so that we could, you know, go to the right school, which means moving a lot. And in eight years, we moved eight to ten times. You know, I think nine times we moved in eight years. And before that, the situation that I had uh, before that, which I'm not going to get into, was so tumultuous, there was nothing steady in my life. Now, the healthiest, now God brings me here. Now I have a family. I, have, I, am, I am healthy and I have stability. And I realized that there is a security that I have in that. And anything that kind of is different from that norm makes me extremely anxious. So I had to recognize that, and the Lord had to reveal that in me so that I can deal with it. For what purpose? So that I can bring joy to my wife and not be a boring dud. <laughs> right? Hey, let's just be honest. There's some dysfunctional thinking that really, you know, I need to deal with so that I can learn to, uh, you know, celebrate the things that my wife celebrates. Does that make sense? It's a dysfunction that I need to give to God. If you come to church thinking that you're dysfunction-free, nothing in the church will make sense, and you're going to get offended at somebody. You're going to get offended at Jesus. You're going to get offended at his word. You're going to get offended at people. We all have these dysfunctions that the Lord is dealing and redeeming us from. We have to accept it in order to move forward. Now, can we move forward? Are you ready? If you're a disciple of Christ, it means that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, it means that you have committed to make followers of Jesus. There's no shortcut. There's no exception. There's no excuses. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a scriptural mandate from God to make disciples. You can't be a follower of Jesus and take lightly the command of God to make other disciples. And that means this. If in our lives there's no one that we are praying for, reaching out to, and teaching to walk after Christ as Christ walked, then we are being irresponsible with the kingdom of God. We are showing little love for people who are walking into eternity without Jesus, and we're completely unaware of the fact that this life is nothing but a blink of an eye. We are called to make disciples. And if we're not making disciples, we're pushing away some of the greatest joy in our lives. I if you're here today and you struggle with your first love, you, you realize that, hey, when you first got saved, you were filled with this first love and this joy for the presence of God. I want you to hear something. If you don't have that today, I want you to check the gauge of your discipleship and evangelism. Are you sharing the good news with others? Because I believe that the joy you have in your life is directly connected with how much you share the good news with those who don't know the good news. I'm convinced of it. Convinced that if you hang out with people who just come to know Jesus, that their Kool-Aid smile becomes infectious, and then you're going to be smiling too. And you're going to be excited because you see people growing in the freedom that God has for them. You have hope like nobody else. Why would you keep that to yourself? The kingdom of God is about making disciples. I want to obey his command, and I know that you want to obey his command. So today, I'm excited to dive into this message that deals with parenting and deals with, with making disciples. And what is it all about? It's, it's all about this. If we go to the first slide, parenting and discipleship is about this. 
leading people to a full knowledge and a passionate pursuit of Jesus. It used to be our vision statement, right? What does that mean? Our responsibility, how do we make disciples? A disciple is someone who knows Jesus well and loves him fully, right? A disciple is someone who knows him, not just knows about him, but fully knows him, and they are passionate, passionately in love with Jesus. Now, that's what we have to keep in mind as we talk about these kingdom relationships. Now, as we move forward, that is the ministry, discipleship, and leading people to a full knowledge and passionate pursuit of Jesus. That is the ministry that Jesus has entrusted in our hands. I have to be willing to make decisions as a pastor to help this church be more effective in making disciples. I have to make the simple uh, decisions as a man of God to focus on discipleship. All of my life, all of my goals, all of my dreams need to be centered on this reality. Jesus is coming soon. Therefore, I want to take with me as many people as I can to the kingdom of heaven. I want them to experience God here, and I want them to experience God's goodness for eternity. Uh, anybody with me? That's the deal. So what does it look like? You know, What does it look like? I want to invest all of my energy in making disciples. And I want you to know God wants to use you. God has people around you right now that God is wanting you to step up in faith and allow him to, use, uh, allow him to move in your life so that you can be a witness to them. Yes, it's just the truth. It's not about you. Stop looking at yourself, your deficiencies, what you know and what you don't know. You have the Holy Spirit in you. The Lion of Judah lives in you. He can give you the words that you need to share the good news, okay? So when it comes to discipleship making, what does it look like to, to be someone who knows Jesus and loves him? To be someone who walks in the full knowledge of who he is and is passionately in love with Jesus? Deuteronomy chapter 6 on down reads this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That portion of scripture is giving us a description of who God is. The Lord is one. And I want to park there for a minute and just talk about that word one. That word one is echad, not jahid. There are two words that speak of one. And one jahid, jashid, means singular, only one, and nothing else. But that word echad actually means a composition that makes one. And I think it speaks beautifully of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The word echad means a composition that makes one. It is the same word that God uses when he says, and the two become one flesh. It's beautiful. It is the same word that God uses in Genesis chapter 1, verse 5, when it talks about the day and the night being one day. It is the same word found in Exodus when it talks about uh, the uh, certain instruments that, that were made to make a unit of 50 things one. So that word etched, the Lord is one. This is not a scripture that speaks against the Trinity. It actually is a scripture that actually affirms the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one, a composition of one, making one. Now, it continues and it says this. You shall love the Lord your God, 
with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. What does that look like? What does that mean? Now, there's my firstborn. And obviously, she's going to be one of the main people that God's given me to disciple. Right? I love what Pastor Shannon would say about this. She says, well, I have eight kids. Those eight kids are eight kids that I have to disciple. Jesus had 12 disciples. I, and I'm not greater than Jesus. So I got to know my boundaries, and I got to know where my discipleship begins. It begins at home. My discipleship begins at home. Right? Are you with me, parents? So our job as disciplers, our job as parents is to train our children to love God, number one. What does it mean to love God with all our heart? To love God with all of our affection and all of our strength. That means, that, that, that means this. Loving God is not a fake it till you make it. You with me? Loving God is not a fake it till you make it. Loving God is genuinely having a desire for God in his presence. Having a desire for Jesus. Desire for his word. Desire to hang out with him. You, we got to get that right before God the Father. If we're disciples that are growing and knowing Jesus and loving Jesus, we got to say, God, give me a heart for you, for your word and for your presence. Got to love Jesus. Are you with me? You got to love Jesus. You got to nurture a desire to love God and to give him the best of your strength. When it says love him with all your heart, it means that you're intentionally thinking about how you're using the best of your strength to love God the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart means love him with all of our affection and our strength. It also means to love God by surrendering our lives and entrusting our souls to him. It means surrendering our souls to him. Jesus said this in the scripture, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man gain, uh, a man give in return for his soul? In other words, what does it look like to love Jesus with all our soul? It means entrusting our lives to Jesus, giving up our lives for Jesus, knowing that we can entrust, it, trust him with our souls. And then lastly, it means loving God with all our heart, loving God with all our soul, and loving God with all our mind means loving God with our intellect. The Word of God says in Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who practice the fear of the Lord have great understanding. Now, what does it mean? Obviously, God doesn't want us to live afraid. Afraid and the fear of the Lord are two different things. To fear the Lord is to have reverence for Him. What does it mean to have reverence for Him? It means I'm going to honor God's Word above my Word. It means that I'm going to live in awe of Him. I'm going to take the opportunity every day to, to give thanks to God and look for opportunities to bless Him for all that He has done in my life. I'm going to make sure that I live in obedience to His Word and that instead of leaning in my, on my own understanding, I'm going to trust that His understanding is better than mine. That's what it means to practice the fear of the Lord. And when we practice the fear of the Lord, you know what happens to our minds? The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, the fear of the Lord is a nurturing ground for your mind to grow wise. For your mind to grow, intellectually speaking. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we have to be dumb. I just want to say that. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we have to be 
foolish. Some would say, well, doesn't the Bible says that God uses the foolishness of this world? Of this world, but we're not of this world. This world may consider us fools, but we're wise in him. It means that in our minds, our minds should be growing. We should be sharpening our minds. We should be knowing why we believe what we believe and being able to share with others why we believe what we believe. We should have a defense for our faith. Young people, you're going to school. You're going to have teachers who are going to be telling you that evolution is the truth and that God is a lie. You should be growing in your defense and knowing why God is the God of science, knowing why God created, the things, uh, created all things, right? We should be growing. The Bible says always have a reason to give why you believe what you believe. That means that we're growing in the fear of the Lord and that our intellect is growing sharp in Jesus. We need to learn to love the Lord with our minds, not shut the mind down. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. And these words that I command you today, it says, shall be on your heart. So this is what knowing Jesus and loving him means. What does it mean to know Jesus, to love him? It means loving him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our intellect. And it also means this that we would keep his words in our hearts. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What does that mean? It means this. They need to be what we delight in. They need to be what we meditate upon. It needs to be what we entrust our lives to. The word of God needs to be what we discern our lives through. And the word of God needs to be what we seek intentionally. Okay? You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So I love the progression here. Number one, hey, this is what you have to do in your life. You've got to love the Lord. Man, love the Lord with all your heart. Make sure that all of your strength is spent loving God. Secondly, make sure that you entrust your life and your soul to God. He's worthy. Give your life to him. And third, make sure that you're growing in your intellect and loving the Lord and in your, your wisdom and in understanding why you believe what you believe. And as you do that, right, treasure all of God's word. Make sure that it's what you look for in the morning and what you look for at night and what you look for as you're walking through the day. Make sure that the word of God is what you're anchoring your life in. And as you do that, then you can do the next step, which is teach your children about it. Then you can make disciples. Then because you're walking in this, then you can give to others what you're actually practicing. In other words, this is not about do what I say and not what I do. This is do what I do. Do what I practice. Do what I teach. Do how I live, right? So as you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and treasure the word of God in your heart, then this is the mandate of God. As you're walking in this, give it to your children. Give it to those that you disciple. Give it to them. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And that phrase, teach them diligently, is very interested in the Hebrew, what it translates. Literally, it means pierce them through with the word. Pierce them through. I thought, whoa, that's an aggressive word. But isn't that just what teaching does, what revelation does? It changes us, right? Now, I know that when I was in the world or when I was experiencing the things of the world, I experienced some negative things that wounded me. And they began to shape the way I saw the world, right? Maybe some bad parenting that occurred in my life gave me a bad worldview. It pierced my heart through, and now it's affecting the way that I see the world. Well, this is what God's saying. Now allow my word to penetrate your children's heart so that they would have a biblical worldview. And as they do life, they can interpret the world through my eyes. Pierce them through with my word. Teach them 
diligently to your children. And, so, and, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, this is an intentional thing. As you get up in the morning, a focus on the Word of God. As you go through life, a focus on the Word of God. As you go to sleep, right, a focus on the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that all you do is just quote Scripture, right? That all you do is quote Scripture and you don't have a conversation with your kids because all you're doing is quoting verses. But rather that you're doing the verses. Do the verses more than quote the verses. I prefer doing life with someone who does the verses than someone who can quote the verses. I know some people who quote the verses for the wrong reasons, right? I know I shouldn't have gotten this car, and I shouldn't have gotten in this debt, and I don't even know how to pay it, but God works all things for good. <laughs> he ain't going to work that out, right? Right? Okay. We can quote the verses for the wrong reasons. So what does it mean? It means think about the Word of God and allow the Word to affect the way that you do your life, the way that you do your life. Teach them diligently. As you go to sleep, as you wake up, throughout the way, it is a natural outflow of cherishing God's Word. It'll be poured out in all that you do. Uh, it means to intensively pierce through the Word of God in the hearts of our children. It means when it comes to discipleship, church, I know this is a hard word, but listen, when it comes to discipleship and raising our children to be disciples, God wants us to wake up, He wants us to walk, and He wants, he wants us to sleep, discipleship. What does that mean? Every day, drawing closer to Him and leading others to be closer to Jesus. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, and this is obviously talking about a Jewish, there's a Jewish custom, right? Uh, the old rabbis would wear something on their forehead, and they would dress a certain way, uh, literally to symbolize what God was calling them to do. But this was supposed to be more than a symbol. It was supposed to be a condition of the heart and the condition of the mind, right? supposed to be. So what does it mean to bind them on our hands? Well, our hands is what we do our works with. So whatever we do should be done according to the Word of God. And our vision, right, the phylactery, the thing that stays in our front here, or the frontlet, your vision for life should be informed by the Word of God and His commands. The command of God should give you a vision for life. And lastly, it says, uh, you shall put them on your doorposts and on your house and on your gates. You should find that your house should be guarded by the commandments of God. Your house, the atmosphere of your home should be set by the word of God. And you should find your rest in the word of God. You should find your rest in the word of God. So now when we look at all this, what does it look like to be a disciple who is growing and fully knowing Jesus and in loving him well? There's someone who intentionally, with all their strength, loves God, is someone who entrusts their souls to God, who intellectually is growing and knowing the wisdom of God. It is someone who is treasuring the Word of God in, in their hearts, right? It is someone who is not only doing, uh, receiving all that personally, but also sharing it with others, sharing it with those that they're called to disciple, right? And, uh, and, and setting up their home in such a way that the Word of God is being honored in everything. That's what it looks like to be someone who knows Jesus and to love him well. So the next question is, what can I do? What can I do to raise children who know Jesus and love him well? What can I do to make disciples who know Jesus, who fully love and know him passionately? 
And that's what we're going to dive into uh, in the following weeks. But now that we know what a disciple looks like, uh, I, w- I want us to just take one or two of the points, and then we're going to end there. Number one, if we're going to make disciples of Jesus, we got to be disciples of Jesus. Now, we've already said that. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, if we're going to make disciples of Jesus, if we're going to parent according to the Word of God, we got to learn to abide in Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says this, verse 23. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. In other words, make sure that you don't set anything in front of God, all right? Idolatry is anything that you put before God. It says, take care that you don't put anything in your life before God. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you, when, you, when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making images or putting something in front of God in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth a witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, and you will be utterly destroyed. And I want to park here in this scripture because it's very clear what the Word of God is saying there. If you don't follow the commands of God, this is what's going to happen, and I am calling earth and heaven as a witness. I'm telling you the truth here. Now, you're going to do with it whatever you're going to do with it, but if you don't follow the commands of the Lord, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be utterly destroyed, and I want to just, I just want to bring out that elephant that's sitting in the middle of the room. This scripture is culturally unacceptable today. We do not accept the God who speaks this way. We do not accept the God who has clear demands and commandments. And there are multiple reasons for why. Number one, many of us have been wounded by authority, being uh, walked out wrong. And we don't accept any authority in our lives, whether we recognize it or not. So we have authority issues that we need to bring before the cross. Secondly, uh, we have not accepted truth as absolute. Many of us don't believe that truth is absolute, but rather that truth is relative, which means that Truth is whatever you want it to be for you, whatever makes sense for you, and whatever makes you comfortable. But the Word of God says, no, that's not truth. That's just a sign of the end times. The Bible says that at the end days, people will look for teachers that will satisfy their itching ears. Why? Because they don't want to line up to the truth. The Word of God says, because they did not love the truth, they will be caused to believe in a lie. Right. So therefore, when we read this scripture, in our world, in our today's worldview, this generation reads that scripture and says, well, your God is not a loving God. He's a dictator. Why? Because in their hearts, truth is not absolute. But if truth were absolute, and God declares that truth, then it makes them gracious. Because then he's telling us exactly what we need to do to escape wrath and be saved. Do you see that? But in order to receive this word, we have to accept the fact that truth is absolute, and that truth is a person, Jesus Christ. Right? Therefore, uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter, so any, a disciple, now back to the, making disciples. If, we're gonna, if our children are going to grow to love the Lord and know the Lord, if we're going to make disciples who know Jesus, then we have to ourselves commit to that walk. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul was one of the greatest disciple makers, right? And the scripture says, you, however, have followed my teaching. This is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, in the end days, things are going to be terrible. Things are going to be so bad, they're going to go from bad to worse. But you, Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecution and suffering that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, 
which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's put that verse on Facebook. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Whoa, when I first read that, it just, wow, impacted me. Paul is so confident in this walk and surrender to Jesus that he t- tells Timothy, you've seen my life, you've seen the way I walk, you've seen the way I've suffered, the things I go through, do as I do. Live your life exactly as I have. You've seen my persecutions, you've seen my struggle. You know what's happening in this world, but you also know those who taught you. And you know that we didn't say to you, do as I say. No, we said to you, walk as we walk. Do you see that? It's so important. If we're going to make disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to make a commitment to walk the walk. If our children are going to walk after Jesus, we got to make a commitment to model the walk for them. We have to make that commitment. The last thing I'll share as we close, not only should we model this walk and make a commitment to follow after Jesus ourselves, but secondly, we got to impart, we got to discern the gift of God, and we got to pray for them as we lead them. We got to pray, impart, and discern the gifts in those that we disciple and those that we parent. Let me just read this scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, again, speaking to Timothy, his great disciple, he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. You see what Paul is saying there? Timothy, every time I think of you, well, I just get a smile on my face. You bring joy to me. Do you, do you speak to your children that way? Lord, just check me. Do I speak to my daughters that way? I try to. Timothy, when I think of you, when I think of you, I am just, uh, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestor with a clear conscience. I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And secondly, am I praying for my children night and day? Paul said, I'm praying for you night and day. Parents, do you know that that's your responsibility? Those of you who are discipling, do you know that if God's called you to disciple someone, you should be praying for them? It should be an intentional thing. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I reminded, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Louise and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Notice what Paul is doing. He says, boy, I love you so much. When I think of you, I just get happy. I can't wait to see you. You just bless me. And I'm praying for you day and night. And I want you to rest in the confidence that you have a mentor who is praying for you day and night. And when I think of you, I'm not just thinking about the plan that I have for you. I'm thinking about what God is doing in your life. Because your great-grandma, boy, that, that grandma of yours, Lois, she was no joke. She had some serious faith. And that faith didn't die with her. It was generational. It passed down to her, mother, Eunice, uh, her daughter Eunice. And it passed down to you. You've been blessed and you've inherited this blessing. Boy, there are families that inherit curse after curse after curse. But you, you've inherited blessing after blessing after blessing. And I see it in you. You see what he's doing? He is praying for him. He's speaking life over him. And instead of focusing on the curses or whatever it may be that Timothy may have had in his life, he's focusing on the life that God's doing generation after generation. Do you see that there? I am reminded of your sincere faith. And then verse 6, For this reason, 
Now, when I think of all this, for this reason, because I love you, because I'm praying for you, because I see God doing a work in your life that, that it's, it's going to bless you, that God is doing something great. For this reason, I remind you to fan in the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So not only am I praying for you, not only is there something that God's doing in you by putting faith in you and in your family and leading you forth, but I've laid my hands and I've imparted a ministry to you. I've anointed you. I've laid, are you laying your hands on your children and blessing them? Are you laying your hands on those that you're discipling and are you blessing them? Are you speaking life? Are you letting, letting them know, affirming them in the faith? Are you, are you uh, pointing out the life that God's bringing out of them? Are you imparting your gifts on their lives? I, I, I had a preacher do this, and I've never, I mean, it, it just grabbed me by surprise. He just walked up to me. There was a, I've seen him maybe three times in my life, and there was just like a kindred spirit. There was something that God put in him and put in me that we were just connected instantly. I don't even know how to explain it, but sometimes in the kingdom, you'll walk to people you'll never see again, but there's a connection, and you won't. You can't wait to see them again. I may never see him again. I don't know where he is. I may only see him in heaven. But there's a connection I have with this individual. I don't know. It's a kingdom relationship. He walked up to me, and he grabbed his handkerchief from his pocket, and he put it in my hand, and he said, the Lord told me to pass on my anointing to you. Now, I haven't seen him. I don't know where he's at. But I never forget that this man had the incredible faith to just trust the God, and he just... It released that. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. Sometimes in kingdom relationships, that happens. How much more should we be doing that to our children? How much more should we be imparting this into our children? Impart and discern the gift of God and, and lead them in that direction. And uh, as we close, I'd like to say this. We're going to get into the rest uh, later, and I, don't, I just have so many other points. We'll be here forever. I get too excited, and then you'll check out, and I don't want you to check out on me. Let me just say this. Some of us are at different stages in our parenting. You know, some of us have infants, and in, in many ways we have full control and responsibility. Some of us are parents of adult children, and we're more at a mentor influence level. And the reality is, is that the way that we handle our children when they're young really gives us a platform whether we can speak into their lives when they're old. Yes. Are you with me? Yes. So I want to say this as I say that. No matter what stage in life you're in as a parent, God can still use you to speak life. God can still use you to encourage faith. S secondly, no matter what mistakes you have made, no matter what things you've passed down that you may see as negative or curses, you don't have to focus on those things. You do not have to focus. You can focus on the life that you've passed down and the things that the Holy Spirit is doing and bring that out and let everything else submit to the cross. Amen. I want that to be good news for you. I want you to receive that. And those for, of you who are, who are uh, parenting young children, they, they are your, you got to see them as your most valued treasure. Got to see them as your most valued treasure. Because what you can do in their lives now, you can pierce them with the word of God before the world pierce them with the cares of this world. Okay? 
We're going to dive into that. But uh, would you stand with me at this time as we close? Help me with this. Hallelujah.